I hope that you had a great 4th of July and a great time of celebration with your family. We did, and uh, we've just had a wonderful time of celebration and worship. And as we move into our series this morning, as we uh, talk about he who alone is awesome, let's talk to him before we talk about him. Let's pray together. Oh, great God, we come into your presence today as your people. We bow before you, Lord, figuratively in our bodies, but really in our hearts. We bow before you. For you are the one God, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as the scriptures say, in you we live and move and have our being. Lord, we know that we live before the God who is greater than us, the God who is self-existent, the God who is omnipotent, the God who is omnipresent, as we have read today. But our God, we, even in the midst of worship, we feel like, we understand you so little. And so we bow and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us by your power to have minds that are expanded to understand our great God, to understand more deeply the work of our only Savior, Jesus, and then to live larger lives by your empowerment so, Holy Spirit, we pray today that as we come here, as we look into your word, as we address things bigger than we are, that, Lord, you would speak. And it's because we're desperate to hear you speak into our lives. And we're desperate because you know us and you know all about us. And you know, you know every fear that every person in this room experiences, every, every trial, every 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 set of anger, frustrations, every lack of forgiveness, every need, every weakness, you know us. And because of that, we're desperate for you. We look so good on the outside, but Lord, we need you. We need you all around us. And so because of our great need for you, we bow for the we bow before you and we ask that you would be with the one who teaches that you would forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For today, truly, we have come to see you and only you as we pray in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm not going to lie. We had a great Fourth of July. Now, I know Jack, uh, our worship director, puts on a world-class, multi-family Fourth of July celebration. I was not invited, and neither were you. <laughs> but the reality is there were 60 people. I mean, there was music that was synced to what was going on across Lake Apopka. It was, bit, but it wasn't, ours wasn't that good, but ours was good. My son and I and our a friend and the family put on a great, most of them were legal. Well, some were legal and they were just, it was awesome. It was awesome. Fourth of July is great, isn't it? Right? Yeah, yeah. Ladies, you like fireworks. We guys love them. We like to light them off. We like to feel the concussion. We want to be a part of the whole thing. We don't want to just see it happen. We want to make it happen. 
We like it. I, I, I like Fourth of July. It was a great time. And uh, it's a great time to celebrate our Constitution. I love our Constitution. We have a great Constitution here in the United States. And, and fireworks makes us look up, don't they? It just makes you look up. And as we were led to think about in our song today, we look up. They're awe-inspiring. Fireworks, fireworks, you just go, whoa, that was cool. It was better than I thought. And you know, our culture, uh, American culture, what they're constantly trying to do is, is get us to look up about ourselves, send fireworks up about ourselves. Fourth of July is great because we're, we're forced to look up. But our culture, so man-centered as it is, is always trying to get us to promote ourselves, uh, to, to say we're wonderful, uh, to brand ourselves carefully and appropriately, to pump ourselves, to believe ourselves, to have confidence in ourselves, to send the message that we are awesome. That's what humanism does. Humanism says man is the measure. Woman is the measure. We are the measure of all things. So aren't we wonderful? Aren't we awesome? And, and listen, now, it, I, I like to live energetically, and you do too. I just read, yeah, I just read a great book, Chasing Perfection by uh, Ben Bergeron. If you're in a CrossFit, if you're a CrossFitter, you know him. Uh, he, he just, uh, well, in 2015, 2016, he coached the world's fittest woman and the world's fittest man. And I want you to know, if you're into CrossFit, that's fitness. If you, any of us that do anything less than that, we're not fit, really, compared to them. In fact, in fact, CrossFit is sort of the idea. The idea of CrossFit is that there really is kind of a mental illness if you ask CrossFit people. <laughs> it really is. The stuff they do and the way they train, it's ridiculous. You and I wouldn't do it. But I love the book, Chasing Perfection. I'm going to read it again because I like to live large, don't you? Why, why live small when you can live large? I like this whole idea. But at the end of the day, what I have learned is that pursuing me is very empty. Pursuing you is very empty, isn't it? Because we are not awesome. At the end of the day, when it comes to fireworks, you try to look up about yourself. You know, we're, we're kind of like those little ladyfinger firecrackers. You know, ladyfingers are just the little tiny firecrackers that sometimes people hold in their hands. See? Pop. Or better yet, we're kind of like those little party favors. I don't even know if they make those anymore. You go to a party and they hand you a party favor and you pop it. A little confetti comes out and it goes pop. Right? That, that's kind of us. We're kind of like party favors. Because we are not awesome. But humanism and material, our culture, we have drunk deeply of humanism and materialism and secularism and skepticism and all of the isms that says we are the measure of all things and we've come to believe it to some extent. It's just not true. And it's limiting. God is the only one who is awesome. One of my professors at Biola University used to always say, how big is your God? He would taunt us. He would, he would say, how big is your God? We have this big Old Testament class and we'd be talking about something outrageous in the Old Testament. He'd say, how big is your God? How big is your, how big is your God? How big is my God? Uh, John Eldridge says, some of the most powerful ideas that we have are unconscious ideas in our hearts and our minds. And those unconscious ideas that we have about life and about God are like wet concrete that sometimes we pour into our lives and eventually they set up and they become who we are. 
And what we desperately need at the beginning of the 21st century as Christians is to have that concrete that is dried up, be chipped away. So that we're, we get in its place a bigger view of God than we ever had before. Some of us have so humanized God, anthropomorphized God, downsized God, that we no longer have this big picture of God that we sang about this morning and the God we worship today. And that's the God we need every day of our life. That's the God that is. He is the only God. And as our culture has shrunk into anthropomorphism, isn't that a great anthropomorphism? Man's anthropocentrism. See if you tell your neighbor, hey, we talked about anthro, uh, anthrocentrism today, man-centeredness. You can impress them. That's an impressive to anthropocentrism or anthrocentrism, man-centeredness. It's so empty. It's a little pop that means absolutely nothing. I am absolutely convinced that the bigger view we have of God, it right-sizes us and enables us to get into a right-sized view of life. And that until we have a big view of God, we really won't have the right view of life. And so that's why we started out in this series, Experiencing Awesome, understanding that God is self-existent. God is the uncaused God. There is no beginning to God. God always was. You say, that's eternal. Yes. Yes. God is self-existent. He derives his existence from himself. Therefore, logically, he's omnipotent. He's El Shaddai. He's all-powerful. Of course, the self-existent one must be, uh, in fact, omnipotent. But he also, logically, is omnipresent. And that is so important for us to understand. And so today, as we look at this whole idea of the omnipresence of God, actually, we're going we're gonna to expand this a little bit. And the guys running the PowerPoint are going to try and keep up with me as we move through this pretty quickly. Because we're going to look at three aspects of the bigness of God in, in relation to his space, his infinity, and, and, and in relation to uh, his immensity and his omnipresence. And, and all of these attributes of God really are one put together, but they talk about different aspects of God in relation to space. You say, what? Yeah, God in relation to space. You say, well, God's spirit. How can space mean anything to God? God is spirit. The triune God is spirit. He doesn't have a body like we have. Therefore, he's not limited to space or time. And so God is bigger than we could ever imagine. But is space important to God? Trivia question. You just don't know how to answer that one. Is space important to us? Absolutely. Space is important to us. Therefore, space is important to God. And so as we look at these attributes, we're going to be talking about who God is in relation to space and time, because space is important to us. I was, went to the hospital the other day to visit a friend. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, I went to the elevator. And don't you hate going into elevators that are absolutely packed? You push the button, everybody walks into the elevator, and it's like comedian Brian Regan says, what do you say while you're waiting for the elevator? And you're all standing around together. Hey, welcome to the area. What do you say? It's kind of a crazy, and then you get inside an elevator that's all crowded, and why is it uncomfortable? Because your space is crowded. They're in your, have you ever talked to somebody whose EQ is so low, they don't realize that they've invaded your personal space? I was a communications major, and we used to talk about that 
They get so close to you. I'm in, ah, see, started smiling right here. Right here is where it happened. Yo, right here. I invaded her space where I said, no, something's coming. I'm being pointed out. And so the reality is our space gets, space is important to us. And when our space is invaded, when, our, when we don't feel comfortable in our space, it's weird. Space is important. Sometimes, sometimes though, because life is so difficult, And because trials happen that absolutely shake us to the core, you say, God, where are you? Where are you? Pain in what, in many forms, loss in many forms, affliction, suffering, just the pain of being human in a broken world deals with this whole issue of, God, where are you? It's the issue of God in relation to our space. Because you can be in a crowd of 500 or so people and feel very lonely. Some of you feel very alone right now. And you're saying, God, where are you? As we look at the scriptures, there are three basic answers, big answers that God would give us when we ask the question, God, where are you? Where are you in relation to me? One of the answers, the first one that we see in our outline today is that God might say to us, I'm I'm outside of everything. Where are you, God? He might say, I'm outside of everything that you could ever imagine. I'm not confined to this world because I am infinite. Do you notice uh, before I preach, every time I say, we pray that you would forgive the one who said that you would use one who is finite to communicate your what? Infinite truth. God is infinite. That means there are no limits to him. And that in relation to his being and to his, and to, to where he can go. And, and, and in particular, like for instance, in Job chapter 11, verse seven, it says, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Verse 8, it is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through the prisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? Can you find out the deep things of God? And the answer is no. Why? Why not? Because he's limitless. Uh, Zophar, one of Job's friends, has got it right. God has no limits. The greatness of his power and his character. Psalm 145.3, another verse I have for you. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and greatness and his greatness is unsearchable. There's a very real sense in which you can, you and I can follow after God. We can read the Bible. We can memorize it. But to know all of God's greatness is not possible. It's unsearchable. One theologian put it with this way, the infinity of God is that perfection of God by which he is free from all limitations. He's absolutely perfect and limitless in his character and all his perfections. And, and, and this is an absolutely stunning thing. And that's why he can create all things out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. When God creates, he creates out of nothing. In the 1700s, William Paley came up with a great illustration that was used to support the existence of God, the teleological argument for the existence of God. And he says, well, if I'm walking through a forest or a heather, if I'm walking through the woods and I, I trip on a stone, I might say, well, that's, 
hmm, where'd that stone come from? Where did that carpet come from? Where did that stone come from that I almost tripped on? He said, well, I might say it's been here for eternity, but if I'm walking in the woods or if I'm walking through the heather in Scotland or someplace and I see a watch sitting there and I look down and I pick it up and I say, well, this had this, this couldn't have been here forever because there's too many moving parts, right? You look at a watch, you say it had to be a watch, what? Had to be a watchmaker. And so you, had, you say that the reality is that this had, this had to come from some place. Uh, by the way, this speaks to me because I just went through a watch. Somebody, one of, one of our beloved uh, people around here at Willow Creek, uh, at Orangewood, made fun of my watch the other day. I think it was our beloved senior pastor. Because uh, I wear G-Shock watches, right? They're not too expensive, and I destroy, I destroy them. And so I, get, I got one the other day, though. And you know how long it took me to program this sucker? An hour. Online with YouTube still took an hour. No instructions come in. This thing did not just happen. It's too complex. And so when we think about the creation of God, that God made all things, we think about its complexity. And, and that really shouldn't throw us too much because for a limitless God, that's no big deal. And then even if we look at a stone in the ground, where did that come from? And we look at all of creation, the limitless of God, the design of the universe. Because God is limitless, because he is infinite, our view of God has to get bigger and bigger and bigger as we grow in Christ. It has to get bigger. He can't stay what it was 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago because the more we get to know him, the bigger it has to get because he is infinite and limitless. Has to get bigger. Uh, we have to worship. We have to have a holy fear of God. Uh, we, we have to live in awe because God's infinity. We have to see that there are no limits to his power. Uh, because God is infinite, it means we won't know all of the why. See, many of you came in here today and you don't know the why of what happened to you this past week or this past month or this past year. And you say, why? And I'm here to tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you might learn some of those things, but you're not going to learn it all. Proverbs 25, two, it is the glory of God to conceal things. It's the glory of Kings to search things out. You and I will never know all of the why in heaven. We're going to find out more of them. That God's infinite. He has infinite reasons for what he's doing around us every day. And sometimes the best thing to do is say, God, you're infinite. And I am not. And I rest in that. Can your marriage be helped? Sure. Of course. An infinite God can help you. Uh, because God is unlimited. I, because God is unlimited, I know the Bible is true. Uh, some of my friends say to me, well, yeah, but you know, what about, what about this, this story of the worldwide flood of Noah? Hey, listen, I live in Florida. I know that much water is producible. But I know that God is limitless, and I don't know the water can be here to cover the earth. You say, well, what about the crossing of the Red Sea? I live in Florida. I know that wind can do incredible things. But on the other hand, I know God is limitless. I know he can dry up. I, what about a donkey talking to a prophet? 
I've had all kinds of people like that talk to me. It's all possible. But God is limitless. I know the Bible is true. When your view of God is big, then what we read in the Bible, though it may not always be normative, donkeys don't always talk to prophets. Donkeys don't always talk. I've never heard one. If you have, I'd like to hear your story. But the bottom line is, God can do it. Why? Because God is infinite. And it's important for us to keep this in mind because God is infinite. Heaven is going to be fun. Yeah. Hey, have you taken the strength finder? Yeah, I'm an activator, number one, but two, three, four, and five, all of that in the strength finder thing is all about learning. I love to learn. And I'm gonna, I, I'm, I get to learn all through eternity. Some of you said, oh, I read my last book I'm ever gonna read on this planet last week. I'm not gonna read another one. Well, you're going to learn a lot in eternity. It's going to be fun. Why? Because God is infinite. You won't be bored. Because God is infinite, however, there is something shocking here. Matthew 5, 48. You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that could be scary if it weren't for the work of Christ. Because God is infinite. He has come in Christ. Christ is God come in the flesh and he has done everything necessary for our salvation. Do you believe that? It's so crucial for us to understand. There is not one thing left that Christ didn't do. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He, he, he satisfied the, God, the father's righteousness for us. And my son sent a text to the family uh, and the family text this morning. My son in Atlanta Reformed theology affirms the doctrine of effective atonement, definite atonement, limited atonement, all of the above. He was trying to trip me up. You can't trip me up. All of the above. Jesus did it. It is finished. The salvation that we have in Christ is infinite. Trust that. Live it. And so sometimes we say, the reality is, God, where are you? And he would say to us, I am outside of everything. I am so much bigger than you could ever imagine. I am outside of creation. I'm not even, I'm bigger than the space. I created space. I'm bigger than all of that. I'm outside of it all. Sometimes he might answer us when we say, God, where are you? He might say, well, secondly, I'm, all, I'm over all things and I'm in authority. I'm over all things and I'm in an authority. This is talking about his immensity. Not only is he infinite and outside of all space, but he is immense and he fills all of space. He, he, he could say to us, I'm in charge. I'm large and in charge. I'm over everything. I am the sovereign king of heaven and earth. First Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Can God dwell in one temple in Jerusalem? Answer? No, he can, but is he limited there? Absolutely not. We all know that. Why? Because he's immense. He fills the space. And this doctrine of the immensity of God is so important for us to understand that God is fully here, fully present in all of his being throughout all of that he has made. He's fully here right now. It's so important for us to keep in mind. 
Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of rest? Acts 7, 48. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet said. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? God is immense. He fills all space. He is over it all. He is the authority over all space. And you say, somebody I know needs to have the justice of God. God's here. He's in charge. He sees it all. In all of his fullness. In all of his fullness. Um, is God here right now? Yeah. The problem is he's always with, also with the Baptists and some of the Episcopalians down the street. Um, of course he's here. Of course he's there in all of his fullness. Have you ever wondered why he can answer your prayer and your prayer at the same time? Why he can hear them? Because he's infinite and because he's completely present at the same time. This is not a big deal for God. It's a big deal for us. Multitasking? I don't believe it. Ladies, I think you might multitask faster. I mean, I don't, I don't, you can't do two things at the same time. You might shift quicker. My perspective, this is not from the word of God. <laughs> Boy, I'm in trouble on that one. But the reality is God does truly multitask. And he's the only one that can't. Because he's immense, he's here, full. I come closest to grasping this idea of the, uh, of the immensity of God when I think about his when I'm flying and looking down at 30,000 feet and there's not a lot of clouds, I can see everything that's going on down. Well, can I see everything that's going on down there? No. Can I see the bigger layout of what's going on down there? Yeah, I can see the bigger layout. I can see the streets. I can see what's going on. I, can see, I barely can see cars going when I'm at 30,000 feet. But what about God? Does he catch the whole picture of your life, my life, the whole planet, all at the same time? Of course he does. In all of its perfection, and all of its falseness, he sees it all, and he knows what's going on. I can say, ah, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's a boat down there. And he knows exactly what's going on on that boat. Why? Because God's immense, and it's important for us to keep in mind who he really is. Uh, the, the error the early church had to fight in the 1700s was this idea of deism, that God, that God created all things. He was the watchmaker, but he took off. And the biblical teaching says, no way. Deism was wrong then, it's wrong now, because, because even though there are laws of nature, so-called, they are really laws of creation that Colossians tells us God holds together. Why? Because he's here. He's large and in charge and in authority. And so when we begin to feel that he's not here, uh, we, we, we lose sight of the reality that he is the authority. He fills our space. He fills all space. This is why God can make a promise and carry it out because he's here. Why he can see you and know your needs and my needs and everybody's needs and do what he wants to do in his time, in his sphere. He can do it. Uh, we don't have to worry about the world falling apart because the Bible says that God's going to hold it together until he decides to reshape it. Uh, I know a lot of people are worried about global warming. When I was a kid, I was worried about an ice age coming again. <laughs> I mean, they explained the ice age. I said, look at the damage. What if that happened again? I was comforted to find out that no ice age is going to come again unless God deems it so. 
politics. I can't believe the number of Christians that are absolutely freaked out. Why? When in Romans, uh, it, it says that God is, God is the one who's in authority and he raises up and he puts down, he raises up and he puts down. Why do we get so freaked out and worked out about politics? Of course, my political views are right and I'd be glad to give them to you in time. But, but so, God's in charge. He's in authority. Why? Because of his immensity. He's here in all of his fullness. So important. Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. God's large and in charge. He's the authority. Where are you, God? I'm in this space, and I'm the authority. Judgment. A lot of Christians don't like to talk about judgment anymore. But the reality is, I read it this morning in my daily appointment with God in Hebrews 4.13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Aren't you glad we have Jesus? Who made the account for you, paid it in full. So sometimes when we say, God, where are you? He says, I'm, I'm outside of everything. I'm way bigger than you could ever imagine. Sometimes he says, yeah, but, but I'm over all and I'm in authority. And you don't need to panic. And then sometimes he will answer that question when we say, God, where are you? He, he, he might say, I'm right near you, right here in power. I'm right near you. Psalm 139. Well, we've been reading it today, haven't we? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Uh, can you go anywhere without the omnipresence of God, your covenant God following you and being with you? No. And because of Christ, this takeaway is so important. Because he's connected us to God the Father. So that when we go out there, we met him here, but he's with us there. Wherever we go. He's omnipresent in his covenant faithfulness to us. Somebody told me just before the service that, I don't know if you're following that story in Thailand about those kids, those boys, soccer team trapped underground. Four of them, or six, I've heard two stories, uh, have been rescued already. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? God's working in a powerful way. But even more powerful for me right now is looking up there and seeing our beloved pastor in the, in the seat right up there. You know, he had a little fight with his heart the other week. He's good. And he's here. Because we have an omnipresent God. How important that is. For us to understand, Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Yes, you are. You're right here. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Answer, no. I tell guys all the time, do not lead a secret life. There's no such thing as a secret life. It will be found out. Deal with it. 
Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Yes. And then the Acts passage that I'm not going to read. God is near uh, and and he's close by. One of the problems with the reality of the omnipresence of God is that the church down through the ages have struggled with those people who said, yes, God is present. God is in things and everything. Uh, Pantheism. And so God loses his personality. God is in the chair. God is in the wall. God is in the air. God is in everything. No, and the church has said, no, that pantheism, just as deism is wrong, God created it and took off. Pantheism is wrong to confuse God with his creation, to lose his personality. No, that's not Christianity. That's bad news. God is personal. And so can we talk? Because every one of us in this place has had gone through difficult times and some more than others. And so those of you who've been through really, really difficult pain and great loss, you say, if God is good and God is all powerful and God is nearby, how in the world can we suffer such loss as we have? Pete, you don't know the loss. You've never experienced a loss. I've lost a child. I've lost loved ones close to me in, 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 in tragic circumstances. No, I've never gone through that. But I've walked through it with many who I love. What do you say? There are no easy answers. No cliches. But we can say God is infinite. And God is immense and oversees. And God is nearby. And that when we run to him through Christ, he and only he can embrace us when we feel alone like nobody else can embrace us. If we will run to him in our tears and in our suffering, all I can say is that he is there. You don't get over suffering, you grow through it. And so Christians don't have easy answers, but they have the big answer. Better than those who don't have God. So before we walk out of here today, what's the summary? What's the takeaway of the infinity, the immensity, the omnipresence of God? What, what is it? It's, well, for, if you don't know Christ, the takeaway for you is we want you to know the God that we have come to know. Although we don't know him perfectly, we want you to know him. We want you to have the hope that we have. We want you to have the power that we have. It's not in us. He is awesome. We're not. Christianity is not pointing to us. It's pointing to a God who is bigger than us. We're just a little pop. It's Jesus and him crucified. It's an empty cross and an empty tomb and an omnipotent God, a self-existent God, an omnipresent God who will walk with you through life, help you live a bigger life. So we want you to embrace him. Um, He is here and he is not silent. What I want for the rest of us as we Christ followers walk out of here today is, is as we leave this place to to sort of let the Holy Spirit chip away that concrete in our heart where we've got these ideas of God that he is in certain places but not in other places and that he is with us, that everywhere we go, we go out there, we say, this is God's space. 
I am in God's space and he, I'm in God's space and he's in my space. He's here. We, we live and move and have our breathe, our breath in the presence of God day in. And Christianity is to be experienced minute by minute. It's not a heady theological thing. It's a powerful experiential thing to experience awesomeness. And will you experience his awesomeness in the existential feelings of it all every day? The answer is no. Well, sometimes you go, whoa, God, you're awesome. Will you? Yes. But if you don't think about him, you'll never experience it. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't energize you and me with these deep truths of who God is, we'll never be able to go out in power and live in a world that desires to break us down every day. God is in my space. That's what I want you to think about. But the reality is there's a battle out there, isn't there? God is in your space, but there's a battle. in The, the most ignorant statement I ever heard was tweeted about two weeks ago. It was put on the news. Some guy said this, the idiot sees the world as good versus evil. The cynic sees the world as evil versus evil. The truth that no one seems able to see is that the world is and always has been a battle of good versus good. Okay, that was foolish. That was stupid. The world is a place where there is a battle between good and evil, between God and evil. You're caught up in it. And, and Jesus is on your side, and you've been forgiven, and you're going to suffer, and I'm going to suffer, but he's here. God is in your space, no matter what you face, even though you don't feel it. Oh, my goodness. Number two, it's important to understand that God is in my space, and I'm going to enjoy him now. I, I like what John Piper said. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. But how can you be satisfied in God if you're not living his presence right here? This is what has been driven home to me. I've got to live his awe today, now. And then I'm satisfied in him. And then lastly, I want you to know that God is in your space. And so you can say, God, what do you want me to do? What's up now? Where am I going to grow? Don't fear growth. Allow it to come. Don't fear when somebody says you messed up. Don't fear when you got to grow up. It's great. Because God is in my space. God is in your space. When we have visions of God's majestic grandeur, we live a big life. When we have visions of our personal grandeur, we got a small life. So how would you like to live? Living with a big God enables us to live large. Take it to heart, so will I. Let's pray. Our God, today, as we come into your presence, as we finalize our time, 
We have a range of emotions right now that, Lord, verge on what do we do with this? How do we follow this up? How do we experience your power? And so, Father, because of Jesus and because of what he has done for us, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, I pray through your spirit, you would bring deep truths into our life. Chip away the concrete. Take away the hardening of our categories and open up our mind and our heart to you. That whether we're dealing with great pain or great success, even right now, we would be able to walk out of here today knowing that we are in your space and that you are in our space. And we go out of here believing in that, in hope. In your strong name, Lord Jesus, we pray.